Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Tim Power. I'm pastor of Modern Worship here, and I want to thank you for being here, worshiping with us today. I've got a quick question, um, and, and this is going to be interactive. I actually do want you to answer me in some way, so you could just shout out your answer. Uh, when, when anybody's here is in a situation, when you're kind of in a fierce conversation, like a conversation that you know is, is either on its way towards becoming an argument or you're there, it's contention, it is tough, and, and you're, you're kind of... Uh, feeling that blood pressure rise. How do you depressurize? Does anybody have any tricks up their sleeves of, of in those moments, how do you depressurize a situation like that? Even just for yourself, even just for your own state of mind, bring that temperature down. Lower your volume. That's a good one. Humor. Take a break. Humor. Anything else? Dad jokes. Okay, that's good. Um... Anyone, anyone else got one? Okay, well, I, you know, I was talking to one of my sons, and he had a great one for me uh, because he, he, you know, everybody's going back to school now, and uh, everybody's in new grades. And uh, for, for young people, that, that can be a lot of pressure on them. That can make them feel, uh, you know, kind of that same, the pressure we get when we get into these tense conversations and, and tense situations. And uh, so he loves animals. And so I'm going to show you a picture of what he views in his mind when, when he needs to depressurize. Aww, isn't that cute? So he, this is this is a picture he showed me and said, yeah, when when I get really nervous or when when things feel like so pressurized, um, I, I think about this and then the blood pressure goes down. What does this have to do with anything? Um, let me tell you, we are in a sermon series that have been for several weeks called We Believe, and what we're trying to do is hit some hot-button issues, some tough conversation issues, and um, we've been talking about this for several weeks now and trying to say, what do Christians believe about these uh, issues that, that are confrontational in our culture? And so we talked about several things already. We talked about how Christians, what we believe about caring for creation. We talked about social justice, and this week we are talking about politics. I'm going to ask the ushers to lock the doors. This is a tough topic to talk about, but it's an important one because right now, politics is one of the most, if not the most divisive areas in American culture. Can I get an amen? So, Here's the thing. We're, it's, there's a temptation to think that this has always been this way. There's always been this fever pitched. It actually has not. Uh, the, Pew Research, um, uh, the Pew Research Center has been studying this for decades. And in fact, what, what they have found out is really shocking. Did you know, so, so if, if you're a parent, um, you, you know that one thing you probably think about a lot is who your child's going to marry. Did you know in the 1950s and 60s, what, what the number one issue, the number one worry on the part of parents was, for their children, as far as the person they were going to marry. Do you know what that was? Their religion. What, what the religion, in fact, my, my, my grandparents, my, my mom's mom and dad, uh, one was Catholic, one was uh, uh, Protestant. It messed the whole family up when they got married. It messed up the whole family. Can you guess what now, in 2000, well, this was in 2016, what the number one fear parents had for the spouse of their children it was if they would be part of a, their opposite political party. So for a Republican family, the biggest worry is that their son or daughter will marry a Democrat and vice versa. 
that is really the biggest concern. Uh, I want to show you this, this graph here uh, that talks about the differences even in, in about the last 24 years as far as how we've changed how we view people of the other party in American politics. Here's a very interesting thing. In 1994, 74% of Republicans had an unfavorable view, which is, you know, that's, that's the opposite party. You'd think that might be true. Uh, then in 2016, that went up to 91%. But here's the really, really shocking one. Of those, the ones that had a very unfavorable, that's like extremely unfavorable view of, of Democrats, went from 21% in, in, in the 1990s up to 58. That's more than doubled. And here is the most amazing thing. That 2016 was the first year that a majority of Democrats and a majority of Republicans viewed the other political party as not just different, but a threat to democracy. A threat to democracy. A majority of both parties think that about the other one. Can we show the cute puppy again? <laughs> so listen, as Americans and as, as, as people who call themselves followers of Jesus, it is, it is our duty to engage uh, in politics. It is our duty to vote. But see, as Christians, we should think very differently about politics. Well, why? Because as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, who call him our Lord and Savior, we believe, we know that there are more important things in politics, right? And, and here's the thing. I, in, in the last couple of years as I've, I've, as I've been, uh, uh, become a pastor, uh, I've spent a lot of time in hospital rooms with people. And one thing I've never been asked in a hospital room visiting somebody is, Tim, Pastor Tim, could you please read the Constitution to me? Could you please read a portion of the Republican Party platform from 2016? No, they don't ask that. They, they want to hear the Word of God. They want prayer. Because they know, you know, at, at some point in your life, you figure out that there's things that are more important than politics. And so I want today to just issue a challenge, issue a challenge to all of us that we put our faith in Jesus Christ before politics, that we put our faith in Jesus Christ before politics. And probably everyone in this room is thinking, you know, Tim, I'm glad you said that because there's a lot of people in this room that have a problem with that, but not me. There's a lot of people, I'm glad you're saying this because there's people here who really need to hear that. However, for me, my faith and my politics are just one in one, one in the same. They're exactly the same thing. In fact, Tim, I am a Republican because of my faith in Jesus Christ. I am a Democrat because of my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a libertarian because of my faith in Jesus Christ. They're one in the same. I don't see any separation. And they can, they can point to scriptures. They really can. If you think, if you're a Republican, of course, God is a Republican. Absolutely, because, you know, God's always right. And Jesus is always right, so... He's right. We're all right. So we're Republicans, right? Or you, you might say, uh, well, there's family values throughout the Bible, right? And in fact, uh, we think about uh, uh, personal responsibility. That's one of the values, I think, of, of the Republican Party. If you look at 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10 and 11, it says this. Even when we were with you, we were giving you this command. If anyone doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. We hear that some of you are living an undisciplined life. They aren't working, but they're meddling in other people's business. That sounds kind of Republican. So Jesus must be a Republican. There's personal responsibility, right? So obviously, and then some of you are in this room are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Think about Jesus. Jesus was obviously a Democrat, right? He was a healthcare dispensing machine. 
Jesus was the living embodiment of free health care for all. He was a Democrat. You look at Matthew 3, I mean 23, 44 through 45, it says, they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, or a stranger needing clothes, or a sick person in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Can you see what just happened? We have poverty, immigration, and prison reform all in one verse. So Jesus has got to be a Democrat, right? But then, wait, wait, no. Somebody in here is like, no, no, no. Jesus is a libertarian. I can prove it. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12, it says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so you will not be dependent upon anybody. That sounds real libertarian, doesn't it? Obviously, Jesus is a libertarian. Do you get my point here? So, so I think one thing that we see in all of these verses is that you can find a verse in the Bible to prove your political leaning, no matter what your political leaning is. So I don't think it's enough just to say, no, no, I put the Bible first, and then that, that guides my politics. And obviously that's, that's true in a lot of our lives, that, that we look to the Scripture to, to help us understand how we should live out our lives. But see, I think it goes deeper than that. If we're going to put our faith in Jesus Christ first and foremost, before our politics, then that means we have to approach politics the same way that Jesus approached everything. See, because here's the thing, is that Jesus didn't come to take our sides on politics. Jesus came to take over. Jesus came to take over. And Jesus' approach to things was totally different than the way we approach so many of things in life. One thing that ties together the entire ministry of Jesus throughout the New Testament is this, is that at the end of the day, people are primary. People are primary in Jesus' view of things, in the way he approached everything. See, nothing made Jesus more angry than when he saw religious leaders using laws to punish people. He always put people before anything else. People are primary. Now, in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, and this is probably familiar to some of you, maybe it's news to some, somebody else, but I want you to pay attention to this. Jesus is getting asked a question. People are always trying to trap Jesus into saying something that's going to get him messed up. They do that with politicians all the time too, don't they? Well, Jesus is really great at this, and he always answers in ways that don't take one side or the other. They just confound everybody. And they're amazing, and they're, they just they blow your mind. Listen to this from Matthew 22. Teacher, this is somebody asking Jesus, what, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, the law, they're talking about the laws of the Old Testament. That's a lot of stuff to go through. That's a lot of ground to cover. So which, which is the most important of all these laws? And it says this. Um, Jesus replied, love the Lord God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now see what's interesting about this. If he would have just said that first half, love the Lord God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind, that's actually very similar to passages in the Old Testament. And they would have said, okay, that's good. But he doesn't do that because that's not quite far enough for what Jesus wants to communicate about who he is and what he believes. Because remember, to Jesus, people are primary. He adds in, because 
Because what does that look like? I think anybody, if you ask any politician today, do you love the Lord God? They'd probably say, yes, yes, I do. But that doesn't have to affect anything else. How do we show that? How does that show up in our life? Does it show up by us going to church? Does it show up by what? He actually answers that. We love the Lord God, and the response in our life is this, that we love our neighbors as ourselves. The people around us, we treat them with the same love. Not we treat our neighbors how our neighbors deserve to be treated. Not we treat our neighbors' kids the way our neighbors' kids deserve to be treated because of how they taught our, uh, they treated our kids. No, you love them the way that Jesus loves. We take the Jesus approach to loving them as we love ourselves. People are primary. And here's another way to put it, and this is one you can personalize in the way that, that you talk and interact with people. You are more important than my view. You are more important than my view. Can can you say that to somebody around you? You are more important than my view. So what does that mean? You are more important than my view. Does that mean we, we don't hold strong views? Does that mean that we don't disagree? No, no. We will disagree. We should have strong views. We should have strongly held viewpoints. But at the end of the day, you are more important than my view. I think this is pretty challenging. It's not easy, especially um, because we see somebody saying something ridiculous on social media. We see somebody saying something um, around a dinner table, around the Thanksgiving table, and we feel like we just, we need, you know, we're offended, our blood pressure raises, and then we feel like we, we have to go on the attack. We have to, you know, confront this. I want you to keep in mind one thing when that happens, when your blood pressure raises and, and you, you feel like, I need to let this person know why they're wrong and enumerate the reasons why they're wrong. I want you to think about this, is that when somebody holds a viewpoint that's different than yours, who, who here understands why they think that what they think? Do you understand why you think what you think? Well, get this. So does everybody else. You have good reasons for why you think the things you think, why you hold the opinions that you hold. And other people think that they have good reasons for holding the opinions that they hold. Now, I think it's really important for us to understand that when we see somebody's viewpoint, that that we should try to not be a critic, but instead to be a student. Be a student, not a critic of people. And here's why. Because all of us in this room have something to learn. If you don't have something to learn, you're either arrogant, insecure, or you're God. Is there anybody who's God in here? Okay. So, so Jesus followers, here's the thing. Jesus followers, when we engage in political discussions, when we talk about deeply held beliefs, we should be the most confident, the most curious, the most composed, and compassionate people in the room. We should be the most confident, the most curious, the most composed, and the most compassionate people in the room. And I want to go through these words. We should be the most confident because if we follow after Jesus, if we are Jesus followers, we should be confident in our eternal security. We know how this whole thing ends, and that ends with us in relationship with Jesus for all of eternity. That's a confidence that we can stand on. We also know that we are a loved child of God. Nothing can take that away from us, no matter who we are, no matter where we are, no matter what we possess. We're always a loved child of God. That should give us confidence that nothing else can take away. Also, we should be the most curious. You know, sometimes Christians um, 
aren't curious. Um, and I think that we, we need to regain that. We need to recapture that. And this is a little bit of a sidebar, but you know, when we talk about things like science, Christians should be the most curious people and should be the most on board with science than any but other community. You know why? Like sometimes Christians shrink back from scientific thought because they think it, it messes with their biblical view, viewpoints. I think whenever science comes out with something, when science tells us a new discovery, Christians shouldn't shrink back. It should be Christians that come back and say, that's how God did it. Wow, that's how God did it. We're amazed. We're curious. We, we, we see this stuff and we say, wow, that's how God did it. And we're curious about other people's viewpoints. We want to understand it. We want to dig in and say, well, tell me about that. Also, we're the most composed. Why? Because it goes back to that thing, because we're secure. We know who we are in God. We know that we're children of God, that nothing can take that away from us. And compassionate, because that's who we are at our firmest foundation. We're loved by a God who loved us so much that he died on a cross for us. So that compassion comes through in everything we do. We should be the most confident, curious, composed, compassionate people in the room. Now, if you're in a situation where you are tempted, and I think we all get in, the, in these situations where somebody's a viewpoint differs from ours politically, whether on social media, whether it's, it's around a dinner table, whether it's in a group of friends talking, I want to give you a question that you can ask that maybe will bring, bring the temperature down. Okay, here it is. How did you come to hold that point of view? How did you, and, 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 and you, you could say it kindly with a smile, how did you come to hold that point of view? Now, what, what you're doing there is you are being a student and not a critic, right? You're being a student and not a critic. Here's the thing. When you hear somebody's political point of view, you are hearing the last part of a very long conversation. Do you know what I mean by that? When you hear somebody's point of view and it seems crazy, you are hearing the last part of a conversation that's been going on in their mind for a long time. Here's another way of thinking about it. You are seeing the caboose on their trade of thought. They've gone through a lot of things to get to where they are. And by asking them, how did you come to hold this point of view? Here's what you're doing. You're inviting them to share some of their story with you. You're inviting them to share some of your story, their story with you. And guess what? When somebody shares their story, guess what's really hard? Disliking that person. When you hear somebody's story, it's really hard to hold, hold things against them. Now, now you, will you, you may still disagree with somebody, but it's really hard to hold it against them because you understand where did they come from and how did they come to that place. See, what you did there was you put up the dog. Can we put up the dog? In that conversation, the temperature came down because you said, tell me about how you got to this point. Tell me about th this place. It, again, it doesn't mean you agree with the person, but suddenly you know where they're coming from, and suddenly the temperatures come down. That little dog has popped up in your mind. So how did you come to hold that point of view? I think it's a very important question that we can ask. Now, I know that this is really hard. This is really hard in these times where, where things are so polarized, so divisive. So I, I want to answer a couple of, think, I think, frequently asked questions uh, that, that we might have when we're thinking about these things, thinking about these issues of how do I engage? How far should I go in engaging in these political discussions um, and still putting my faith in Jesus Christ first? So a couple questions. Should I have an opinion? Yes, you should have an opinion. You should have an opinion. The, the second thing is that should I argue my point? Should I argue my opinion? Yes, I, but disclaimer, I think we all should be able to argue our point if we can do it with confidence, curiosity, being composed and compassionate in every conversation that we have. 
I think yes, because here's the thing. You need to learn about what other people, where other people are coming from, and they need to hear where you're coming from. They, they, need to, they need to have that education too. So yes, I think Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should still engage. We should still be able to argue our points. However, should I make a point at the expense of influence? No. Do you know it, what influence is? Influence is, is probably one of the most important things in your life that you have. It is one of, one of your greatest assets. Um, and as a follower of Jesus, influence is one of the key things in our life. You are the light of the world. Can you turn to somebody and say, you're the light of the world? That's what Jesus calls his followers, the light of the world. That means that we have influence, that we can bring something of the heart of God into every situation that we're in. So in the lives of our family members, in the lives of the people we work with, in the lives of everybody around us, we can bring the light of Jesus Christ into these situations. We can do that, but guess what? If you let political invective, if you let your political opinion come down so harshly on somebody, you can lose that place of influence very, very easily. That's not worth losing. And, and, and very tied to that, should I jeopardize a relationship? Absolutely not. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if just to score political points, just to win an argument on Facebook, you lose influence in somebody's life? You lose a place where you can actually say to somebody, or, or if somebody is in need of help, they don't look to you anymore because you're no longer a safe place in their life. See, that's, that's where people come forth first. That's where you are more important than my view. You are more important than my view. See, as people of Jesus, we're more interested in seeing people restored than in winning political arguments. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of God for us. It, it's sometimes tough when we, when we see people we totally disagree with, and, and it, can be, it can be hard when we, we start to lose respect for people because their political, political beliefs seem very different from us. Um, I, I think one thing that's very important is to take this Jesus eye view of everybody, to take this Jesus eye view of every single person that we come in contact with. I, I read a book uh, a little while ago uh, called Speaking of Faith by Mitch Albom, and it's, it's a great book where he, he talks about his faith conversations with his rabbi and also um, a, a inner city pastor in Detroit. And uh, one of the interactions really struck me, and it's, it's, uh, I, I've probably shared this story before, but it's just it's so powerful to me. Um, he, this this um, pastor in inner city uh, Detroit would, would have homeless men come and live in the sanctuary of their church overnight, every night. And so there was always between 100 and 150 homeless men that would camp out basically in the sanctuary of his church every, every single night. Now, um, that sounds great, but, but guess what? They weren't always the nicest uh, residents to have around. Uh, sometimes they would steal things from the sanctuary, and, and, and there was a lot of issues, and, the, and they were dealing with a lot of issues. Many of them were addicts. Uh, many of them had mental health issues, which made it hard to interact with them. Um, and Mitch, uh, Mitch Albin was, was talking to this pastor, and he says, you know, tell me how you can look at some of these guys, and you know that some of them have stolen from you. You know that some of them, uh, you know, have turned their backs on their family. You know that all of the messed up things that are going on in your life, how can you still love them every day? And, and the pastor said this. He said, you know what I do almost every night? As the men are gathering and kind of getting into their spots in the sanctuary uh, to go to sleep, I, I look over each one of them, and I try to picture in my mind them as a newborn baby. 
them as a newborn baby who has a mother that loves them, who has somebody who they're the brightest shining light in, in somebody's life. And remember the fact that that's how Jesus looks at all of us. That that's how Jesus looks at every single one of us, regardless of our political persuasions, regardless of what we're going through right now. Could we take a Jesus view of everybody around us? Can we take a Jesus view? And what would that look like if our community could do that? We just take a Jesus view of every single person in our lives and say, this is how Jesus sees them. This is how God loves them. I'm going to invite our band back up. See, Jesus always put people first. He always made people primary. He always said, you are more important than my view. And that's what we're called to, people. That's what we are called to as the people of God. Let's never give up influence for the sake of winning political arguments. Let's always take this Jesus-eyed view of this, of this person as being a beloved child of God. I'll share one quick story also in closing. Um, I, I was at a Bible study one time, and um, uh, the, 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 the conversation was basically about what's okay to pray for. Anybody ask that question? What's okay to pray for and not okay to pray for? And uh, one guy from Chicago was in the conversation. He said, is it okay for me to pray that the Cubs win? And the pastor who was running it said, sure, because I'm praying that the Cubs lose, so you might as well balance that. And then um, uh, another young lady uh, this was after uh, the recent presidential election. She, she brought up the fact that she said she was in a, a group of people praying about the election. And she said, um, everybody in the room disagreed with the, her candidate winning. They were all praying for the opposite candidate. That's a tough thing to be in a room and everybody's praying against what you believe, right? And so she asked the pastor, she said, so, so which one of us was right? Which one of us was right? And, and the pastor had a pretty profound answer. He said, Listen, when my, when my babies were real young and they would, they would be crying, uh, you know, they, either they needed to change a diaper or they were hungry, a lot of times they didn't know and they couldn't even give the words. And he said, when, when we pray things, it's not always that we're right or wrong about what we pray, but what happens is that God just hears the cries of his children. He hears us and he hears his children crying out and he acts on our behalf because when we pray, even if we don't pray the right thing, or we, don't pray the, or we do pray the wrong thing, he just hears his children crying, and he acts because he's always there for us, and he always is there for us as his children. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray that we would be a people who put people first, that we would be a people that, that, that say the heart of this other person is more important than me winning a political argument that other people encountering the love of Jesus Christ is more important than my viewpoint, and it matters so much more deeply. Give us compassion, Lord God. Give us compassion for the people around us. Help us to know your love and then to share your love, to love you so deeply with our hearts, our mind, all of us, and then to live accordingly. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.